Welcome to the Waiting Warriors podcast. As loved ones of first responders and military personnel, we often face life situations and challenges that many others don't experience. And while each of us and our experiences are unique, together we can learn from one another and become stronger in this journey of life. Now let's step out of mediocrity. It's time to thrive. Hi, Waiting Warriors. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week's podcast is fun because you get two Michelle's. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> this week on the podcast, I've got Michelle Norman. She is a Navy spouse of 24 years, a previous engineer, and a stay-at-home mom for 16 years. So I'm super excited to have <laughs> her because she is no ordinary woman. She is no ordinary spouse. She has an incredible history of very, um, what I see as very admirable advocacy, um, for, um, pretty much everybody, but specifically those who have special needs. So welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. I'm so happy to be here and to be able to talk a little bit about what I've been doing these past 16 years and hopefully be able to inspire a lot of other military families out there um, to do the right thing. Yeah. So let's let's just get into it. What is your experience? What's your connection with special needs? Or um, I guess we can go totally military. It's the EFMP <laughs> life. Yes. Um, it's a life that I was not really aware of until my daughter was born <clears throat> about 16 years ago. And she was born prematurely, um, very early at 27 weeks here in Norfolk, Virginia, at two pounds and three ounces. And, you know, I think that is when my world just totally changed. You know, everyone will tell you or ask you, when did your life change? When, what was that defining moment? And it was when my daughter came into this world and my husband and I were completely we were just not prepared for what was going to be ahead of us. And I think at that point, you just know that your advocacy has to start from day one. And for us, um, that started in the medical world. You know, she was very fragile. She was actually in the hospital for eight months. So I did not get to take her home until she was, you know, already passing some milestones, but she was very, very sick. Um, she had a brain bleed within the first week of life that affected the right side of her body. So she has cerebral palsy and um, over 21 disabilities. The biggest one at that time was um, she wasn't able to breathe on her own. She had a trach. And so we really had to actually start our advocacy in the hospital by bringing her home and getting a second opinion about how to um, reconstruct her airway in a, in a, by the experts in Cincinnati. And so I think just getting into the weeds of just asking the right questions and not accepting the status quo in that hospital kind of set the, the path for me um, as we've seen a lot of challenges you know once we did get out of there and she did get her surgery it's just been one thing after the other as far as you know 
helping her along and thriving. And so I thought once we got through some of the medical challenges, you know, we did have a lot of doom and gloom from the doctors that she may never walk or talk or eat on her own, but she has surpassed all of those expectations. And so you know, my life now at that point was to be the stay-at-home mom and do whatever I could do um, to help her be the most that she could be, you know, as my husband is gone most of the time, you know, those, that burden kind of falls upon the mom to make sure that we do everything in our power um, to help her succeed. And so we got a lot uh, done and she made some great, great, um, she just did really, really well in all of her medical needs. And so we thought that we may have passed a certain point, but then when she enrolled in school, um, we saw some other challenges. And then once again, you know, that's where we had to kind of start speaking up to make sure that she was getting the appropriate education that she was um, mandated to get through federal law. So what were those challenges? So I'll, I'll kind of start out a little bit with, you know, all of our children um, deserve a quality, um, yeah. high standard education, no matter what, you know, obviously it's a little bit more difficult when you're a military family and you move so often. Um, when your children are in special education, there is federal law that protects your child and their rights and ensures that they um, have access to a free and appropriate public education. Um, so there's definitely processes in place to ensure that. And we have actually had really good luck in many school districts um, around the United States that um, these IEP teams that you, um, for instance, all kids that have special education have an individualized education plan. Okay. And so you have to have meet, you know, on a regular basis to ensure that your child is progressing and that there's appropriate interventions, accommodations, services, and support to allow them to access the education just like a typical peer would. Um, and so we've had really good luck um, for the first, I would say, five years of her life, of school life, um, collaborating well, IEP teams would come up to us and suggested, you know, some services that they thought she needed. And she has average intelligence. It's just that she does have these extra challenges. Um, and sometimes accommodations will help, but sometimes she actually needs a goal or an intervention, such as speech or um, auditory processing, which we can get into later. Um, and that's when we had pretty good luck um, it wasn't until we moved back to Virginia Beach in 2014 where there was a stark difference in um, in the attitude that we received when we enrolled in our school. Mm. So that was uh, that was when our legal battle had begun. Um, you know, I think even the most determined parents. We, we hope that teams would come together for the better betterment of our children's education. And I do believe there's some fantastic staff and teachers out there that um, are amazing. And they put their, their heart and soul into um, taking care of our kids, which is great. 
But we definitely had major pushback um, when we moved back here. And um, the first thing that we noticed is that um, in her IEP, she had a lot of great goals and interventions. But within that first 30 days, um, the IEP team met and said, you know, she's doing great. We watched her in the classroom. Um, they started taking away goals and accommodations. Um, her services were moved into the accommodations. It just things were not going well. You would think after someone moves to a new school that you actually would want to have more support, not less support. Yeah. And I just got this gut feeling as time went on that this is not right. I felt like we were constantly coming back to the table and saying, she really does need these services, whereas the school district was coming back and saying, you know, she really is doing great. She's doing fine. So I felt like there was this continual minimization of what her disabilities truly were. And it, we just didn't get it at the time. I think that a lot of parents, particularly military parents, I think that we assume that everyone has our best interest. And I think it could be also we come from like the system that's very, we respect the authority. And so I think it was, we were naive initially. Um, we wanted to believe that, you know, she was doing well, but it didn't match up with what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. And she was regressing um, socially and academically. And I just knew that if she's not doing well, um, that something was going wrong, that they were not taking care of her. And um, she would come home and tell me that, she would wait all day and not go to the restroom because she wasn't getting the assistance that she needed. And she's always afraid of being late because with her disability, she's just slower. She's slower at getting herself situated. She's slower to put on her clothes. Everything is just much slower. And when you're in a fast paced um, environment, that just increases your anxiety. And so when she would come home and just rush to the bathroom because she was afraid of missing something because she knew that she didn't have any assistance to go to the restroom to fix her pants. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is just, this has gone too far. So um, that's when we finally decided that it was time to take that next step. And mind you, this is when my husband um, just started a 22-month, very intense um, nuclear training track. So he was in um, South of Carolina, of course, you know, so he's not around. <laughs> when, so. when would they ever be around when <laughs> life is throwing the really, really hard stuff? It is. It's that's just par for the course, you know. So he's in South Carolina. Then he goes to New York and then he goes to D.C. He's trying to call in when he can. Um, this has dragged on for so long, but there were times he you know, called in from an aircraft carrier, you know, on combat deployment in the Persian Gulf just to call into an IEP meeting because it just never ended. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that's the type of involvement, you know, that we're used to just as parents. We know we're very involved, but we also know what's right. And we also know what the law is. And initially, again, we didn't. We were very naive. I never had to know what a FAPE stood for. I never had to go look up IDEA. Um, but once we finally invested in an advocate, which we were very fortunate to afford because advocates are not cheap. And I think that is also a driving force for us is knowing that 
you know, younger enlisted families could never do the advocacy that I've been doing. And I, I just feel very fortunate, and I think I feel a little obligated morally to keep going because I know that they don't have that voice yeah. that I can provide. So we hired an advocate, and she you know, looked at our case, looked at all the documentation, and she confirmed our suspicions that you know, my daughter was not getting a FAPE, and there were violations left and right, and um, we needed to do something sooner than later because she was just continuing to regress. Mm-hmm. So we tried. We really did try to keep working with the school district. Um, I think we had over 16 IEP meetings within the first two years. Um, at the end of the first year, and I found out that she had failed all her SOL testing. She had failed all her district testing. But yet they awarded her um, on the honor roll, and she got Student of the Month awards. And I thought at that point, I feel like I'm getting gaslighted. You know, mm-hmm. it, it felt like I was being appeased to sign their new shiny, bright IEP um, because she's doing great. And look, she's on the honor roll. But you know, the, the the data was not suggesting that. In fact, it was suggesting that she was way behind all of her peers. And when they felt that she was ready for the next grade, I knew I had to put the brakes on at that point and said, this is not, this is not the daughter I know that you're talking about in this document. Yeah. So we ended up having to go to the next step, which is hiring an attorney. And that's pretty much where all of our savings has gone. <laughs> is, uh, and, you know, that was another um, Huge challenge because we are here in Hampton Roads area, um, southeastern Virginia, and there are no special education attorneys anywhere in this area. In fact, you have to at least go two hours to Richmond um, to find some, but the majority of them are in northern Virginia, which is about three and a half hours away. And that's kind of one of our points that we've been discussing with other families is that school districts know that. They know if there's no one specialized in special education, um, they can get away with a lot more because there's no one holding them accountable to follow the law. And so advocates can only do so much, but they can't file due process. Mm. And so I think that there are a lot of areas across the U.S. that maybe get away with more than, than what they should because there's just not you know, attorneys up and down the street that could come into meetings and say, you know what, this is, this is you know, a violation and we need to get it straight away. But we ended up going to that next step. We got the attorney. We kept working with them. But um, when they, again, produced a IEP that I felt was, that we all felt was inappropriate, according to the experts and professionals, we ended up pulling my daughter and enrolling her in a private school that specializes um, in educating kids with learning differences. And I will tell you, that was probably, it just changed my daughter's life, Mm -hmm. and it changed our lives. It was the best decision I could have ever made to to see my daughter happy to go to school again, to see her learning, 
We just knew it was the right decision. But we still felt like we needed to keep work with this, the school district. Um, she was allowed to enroll in this private school on, on the condition that she repeats fifth grade because she had regressed so much that they did not think she was ready to go to sixth grade. So that was the condition of enrollment. Mm-hmm. And so that, and they did their own personal testing. And again, it just, she was so behind in reading and writing and math. And I just, I knew that I, we had to keep working on a better solution for her. And so she's now in a private school. We gave them notice. And so we went back to the school district. We did a lot of testing. They did testing. We did testing. If we didn't agree with the results, sometimes we did, sometimes we didn't. Um, One of the things that she always complained about that one year in public school, fifth grade, is that the teacher was speaking really fast. And I didn't know. I'm not an expert. I think that's the hard thing is that parents are not experts. So we can't really always come to the table armed with all this information. And I was, again, having all this great luck with other school districts. So when I came to the table and said, hey, she's not understanding, I thought maybe the teacher had a Southern accent or I don't know what I was thinking. But, you know, there's 16 people around the table. You would think if you said this, that someone would look at you and say, well, goodness, that may mean she has X, Y, Z. Let's go ahead and evaluate that. But no, no one ever did. No one said to me, gosh, you know, Mrs. Norman, that that could be a significant problem. Well, it turns out through our own testing through speech therapists, we found out she had severe auditory processing Mm. disorder. And it makes total sense, you know, that when she can't process what someone's saying when they're talking fast, you know, all the teachers should have known that. It's not like you need to be a rocket scientist, but I didn't. And so us finding that out through our own testing just validated that the school district didn't really care about my daughter. They didn't because they would have offered services. They would have offered to evaluate, and they never did. Yeah, they were just accepting the complaint, accepting that, that, you know, okay, she couldn't understand they're talking too fast, but there's nothing that they could do about it. Right. Because I think if they acknowledged the problem and maybe evaluated, then mm-hmm. guess what? They would now have to give a service. Yeah. And who wants to give a service if you're trying to minimize things, right? And I, I who knows? But, you know, you have to wonder, is this a money issue? Is this a budget issue? Mm-hmm. Why would they not want to help my child understand and learn? Um, We also found out that she had um, hearing loss in her right ear through some of that testing. (laughs) We found out a lot of things. Um, But they still felt that only accommodations would be necessary for her, not necessarily interventions, which if you do any type of research, auditory processing, yes, is helped by accommodations. But you actually can learn to understand better. There's different programs out there. Um, that you can utilize that will help you with your processing. And that's what we were pushing for. It's like, look, let's, let's not just, you know, put her at the front of the room. Mm-hmm. Um, how about we do something to improve it? Because this is going to be with her forever. Right. And um, this helps her access the education. So obviously we disagreed with the IEP in 2016 and we were forced to value process with them. And, um, 
it's not something I'd ever really recommend people to do. <laughs> it's probably one of the most um, stressful events in your life to do, to go through a due process hearing. Um, it's expensive. But I think in the end, we knew in our hearts that this was wrong and they were not doing the right thing. Our daughter was now in an environment where she was learning and providing the appropriate interventions and support and services, and it was not going to happen in the public school at that time. So after three and a half days of testimonies, and it's just, you know, major stress on all the family, my daughter actually testified on one of those days. And I thought to myself, how many 12-year-old kids could put this on their resume? Yeah. Going to a hearing and talking about your feelings about the school and if you're learning, it just, it boggles my mind that we even had to get to that point. Yeah. Um, but we found out, and, you know, it's, I think the, the parents really are in a tough situation because 95% of the time parents lose due process hearings. It could be for a number of reasons, but I think most of the time when parents have a good case, reasonable school districts will settle with them mm. and say, you know what, you've got a good case. We don't want to get this to court. Let's go ahead and settle. Then you've got the few that decide they don't want to have a precedent you know, made, and that would be probably similar to the situation we were in. And uh, maybe they don't want other families to see that you have placed your child in a private placement that was meeting their needs, and so maybe other families will follow suit. I don't know, but um, we, we think that those, the other hearings that go, a lot of the parents self-represent, and you're always going to lose, for the most part, if you self-represent. You really have to have an attorney um, to represent you because it's just you've got to know the law. And the odds are stacked against you if you try to self-represent. So we were super happy when we found that we won. It was such a huge relief. And I think in the minds, we were thinking, yay, this is it. We're done. Yeah. But no, 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 we were not done. <laughs> so the school district has 90 days to um, appeal the decision. And, of course, at the 90th day at 5 p.m., they appeal to the Fourth Circuit Court. And so in the meantime, they're supposed to follow the hearing officer order, which is to repay us all of our money for the, the tuition. Um, you know, she's you know privately placed now or publicly placed at CBA, which is her private school. But they didn't follow any of those orders in any timely fashion. In fact, it took us having to file a state complaint for them to comply with just the minimums of that. It took like 10 months, I think, for us to actually get our tuition back. And at this time, it was still, you know, the case was still on appeal at federal court. And um, it took a long time. It took uh, February of 2018, and we found out we won again. But the mm -hmm. circuit court um, upheld the hearing officer's decision that Marissa was in um, the appropriate education placement at her private school and that they were offering her faith and not the school district. So again, we're like, yay, we made it. So maybe we can come with a positive resolution. Um, no, 
<laughs> it goes on and on. Let's see, that's 2018. They, the school district still is not completely um, happy with the situation, and they still don't believe that they are not able to give my daughter faith. So my daughter's stay put at her private placement. So that means she's, you can't move her out of there mm-hmm. unless you can prove that you can do, you know, provide an appropriate education. So um, that summer, uh, the school district basically told us that they're going to stop paying, that they're no longer responsible for her tuition, which is incorrect. But, you know, so there again, we have to file another complaint with the state saying, guess what? Um, They're not paying for tuition. The law says this. And by the way, we should not, a parent should not have to be paying. You know, the school district should be paying. There should never be a burden on the parents because it is a free and appropriate public education. And Mm -hmm. when the school district, if they're, you know, stay put somewhere, that's where they stay. Um, And so... The complaint came back in our favor in December of 2018. And three days after Christmas, the school district sued my daughter. (laughs) They filed due process against her because they felt that she should be back in the public school. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. I mean, I'm saying it right now because I've lived it. But this is like four and a half years. They just... They just don't get Could it. not. And they're also just, they don't want to accept that they can't educate every single child in the school district. And I think they're worried about a precedent that if this one family, you know, wins all the time, because this is now, I think we had four legal wins at that point. Mm-hmm. And I remember receiving the paper. It's three days after Christmas. Like, who does that? Right. Like, who works during the Christmas holidays and thought, gosh, this is a good time to sue the Normans. So <laughs> let's go ahead and draw the paperwork up and then let's send it to their house because I bet they're going to have family visiting. And wouldn't that be a great thing to talk about at dinner? And so that's exactly what happened. You know, we got the paperwork. Um, but, again, I just don't think they care about us or my daughter. You know, that night – the emotional piece, you know, Marissa was crying uncontrollably saying, I don't want this to go on anymore, mom. I don't want to fight. I just, I, it's too hard. I don't want to testify again. I think, you know, she's already has anxiety. And at that point it's, it's spiked and she already had some OCD behaviors, but it got really bad because she does pick her skin and pull her hair. And it was out of control because she knew that once they stopped paying for her tuition the year before and then they sued her, they don't care about her and they're not supporting her or her family. And so that was a whole nother piece like, gosh, are we doing the right thing? You know, I know that we need to be a voice and I know this is not right. But at what point do you is this what they wanted to do is to break our backs? Um, And so. We just kept trying to work with them, um, but we um, obviously had to set up a hearing. And, you know, at some, some school districts would be reasonable and say, hey, let's have the hearing on the state. You know, my husband, of course, is gone. Right. And um, we told them, the school district, he will only be back for one week, this one week back in Virginia Beach before he leaves 
because he was on training, and then he's going to leave to do his next tour overseas for 15 months. We have one week. Now, it's not somewhere I would want him to have that one week in a due process hearing, <laughs> but I want him to be there if, we, if that's the week we need it. And, of course, we asked them to move it to that week. They said no. And so we had to invoke the Service Members Civil Relief Act and get a motion to move the hearing so that he could be here to um, support the family and to testify. I mean, again, it's ridiculous. Who can, how can you sue a family and purposely want to do it to where the father would not be there? It's just, right. it shows their true colors in a which lot is, of ways. Which is why it's so important, though, and I'm glad that you mentioned that, because it's important for people to know that there are those protections the law does have the protections for the service member families because we do have situations that we don't have control over and people will try to manipulate it. I mean, hopefully not everybody, but if someone right. does try to manipulate it or, you know, even if they aren't being manipulative, but just not helpful to you and your no. there are laws that can protect you there are things that can protect you but you just need to know about them that's exactly right and if you didn't have an attorney you may not think mm -hmm. about those type of protections and how to even initiate a yeah. motion to do that yeah but fortunately our hearing officer was um allowed the motion and we were able to move it to that week and um it was for five days. He literally left on that following Thursday. Mm. And even towards the end of that week, they were trying to say, oh, we may not have enough time. We may have to extend the next week. And we're like, no, we've <laughs> got to finish it in these five days. He needs to have time to pack. We had a PCS for him, a very small one, since it's just him leaving. But still, that was he hadn't had any of the power attorneys drawn up. I mean, there's just things you have to do before you go on a deployment. Yeah. And, um, it's just, yeah, the whole thing is just ridiculous. But, um, and again, stressful on the whole family. And so he left in April, and then we found out uh, May 10th that we won again. <laughs> and that, so now we're at five. We're at five legal mm -hmm. wins. And, you know, you're cautiously optimistic that this might be the end. Um, but then they haven't really been complying with the orders, and so we had to file another complaint just last week. So it goes on and on and on. There's no end in sight. And so I'm going to go back and talk a little bit about how it's been difficult because there's just a lack of support. Um, yeah. Well, and, yeah, that's you know, my big question is how do you handle all of this when you're standing alone? That's the difficult part. Um, when people started to hear about our wins, I think the special needs community started to come out of the woodwork and say, oh, my gosh, the same thing happened to me. We had dozens and dozens of people have reached out to me on Messenger and saying, this is so my life. We've had these same problems, but no one can afford to keep these school districts yeah. in line like we have. And um, during the time where I, the first due process, I met another family. We're like, you know. We need to start gathering people. This is how we start a movement. This is how we make change. So we co-founded Parents for Faith, which is a local organization, just to have people come in and just realize that they're not alone. Because I think that special education is not something people like to talk about. We call it the dirty little secret. 
You could have an amazing school district that's wonderful for military children and have these great, great gifted and talented programs and they do all this amazing stuff for your neurotypical kids, but no one really wants to talk about special ed. And it's obvious when you go look at the Department of Education website and you take a look at special ed numbers, they're not great. You know, a lot of times they're, you know, where we are, um, they're below state, you know, um, benchmarks. But no one wants to talk about that. And this is an EFMP fleet concentrated area. And what we're noticing the trend is the areas that the Navy has been sending a lot of our EFMP kids, which are D.C., San Diego, Hampton Roads area, Jacksonville, Washington, Bremerton area, many of those locations um, are below uh, mm -hmm. federal and state benchmarks. So you have to wonder, where's that money going? Because there is impact aid funds that goes to each of these school districts because you're military. So boom, you get money because you're military. Secondly, if you have an IEP, there's a separate fund of impact aid funds that goes to school districts. So boom, you got that. So you would think with the additional money that's coming in, that you would see increased support and services for a lot of these kids. The money should go to what the money is going there for. Allocated to, right? Yeah. But what happens is this money goes into, for instance, Virginia Beach has a general fund line item in their budget. And that's where the money goes. Mm -hmm. So there's no auditing or tracking of that money to know if it truly is following the child. Right. And that is very similar to what we've been seeing with the privatized military housing yeah. um, catastrophe, <laughs> you know, money being pumped into a program, but yet you don't really know if it's going to the upkeep of right. these houses, which I think obviously that's been found to be a big problem. Right. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that and that trend is happening in a lot of these areas where additional money is coming in, but yet these kids are coming in and they're taking away things from their IEPs. And we start taking things away from IEPs, that means it's less, you know, money for them to provide those services because there's less. Um, so it's really not the way it should be. You know, in fact, when you're moving, that's when you need more, more help. Mm -hmm. And um, we're just not seeing that. You know, you're seeing and we're just not even asking for a high quality education. I think that's important. We just want the minimum. We just want them to be productive, independent members of society. We're not asking for them to all, you know, have a ton of different accolades, merit-based, you know, we just want them to access the education, do what IDA is meant to do for them. Um, and that's, that's a problem when there's money going into these school districts and perhaps they're not being used the way they should be. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we first had problems in 2016 and we formed this group, Parents for Fate, my husband and I said to each other, if we're going to make a difference, we're going to have to involve, you know, local election officials and congressmen and women and let them know what's going on. So we started writing congressional letters. Um, we were able to get um, a couple of senators and a representative here in the Virginia Beach area to meet with us. Um, that wasn't very easy. We had to find other parents to come with us that are experiencing mm -hmm. problems and that's the other issue that you will find is that parents are worried about reprisal because once you start to speak up and if you have other kids in a school district 
you tend to get phone calls. Hmm. Come pick up your kid. You're having a meltdown today. Or other small other small things can happen to put pressure on you to not speak up. Mm-hmm. And that happened to us, you know, as far as getting phone calls, you know, about my son. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those things could have been handled at the school properly. But no. And if you're putting more stress on a family, you may decide to say, you know, this is not worth it. I'll just sign the new IEP. Right. And we're just going to keep going. Um, because once you start, it's, it's the small things. You know, it's, it's really, retaliation is very real. And that is why you don't hear a lot of parents speaking up at times because they're afraid of that. But we were able to get a good group um, and we started a movement. We were able to finally get the um, attention of the governor who put pressure on VDOE to come out and listen to all of our stories. And we did our best. We put together a systemic state complaint um, that found a lot of deficiencies um, in what Virginia Beach was doing but only found one systemic problem with transitioning, transition IEPs. But um, there was definitely some grave concerns about this area. Mm -hmm. And um, we thought maybe that would help us in our situation. Um, But no, it kept going. (laughs) And um, I think when we got sued, we finally got some press. And that's when PBS NewsHour found out about our story. And they did a great video on us. And Stars and Stripes has been really good about following um, our five-year legal battle. And some other local um, news outlets also started to say, what is happening? Yeah. Military family not being supported. Because you know what? You can do whatever you want with all the other military families and say how great you are and put out all these fantastic articles. Because, by the way, the school district has a fantastic media communications officer (laughs) who is able to push out, you know, articles, get quotes from people and, you know, make them look like they're the greatest things to slice bread. But, um, you know, I think that once we finally broke the ice and people started to hear that we got sued, I think that's when people started to ask, what is going on in Virginia Beach? And I think I knew at that point I had to keep going. And we needed to elevate it. Um, And it just turned out the timing was such where my mentor um, nominated me for the Military Spouse of the Year program. And I won the title for Norfolk Norfolk Station, Mm -hmm. Naval Station. And I ended up being the top three for the Navy. And then I was very blessed to be selected for the top Navy Spouse of the Year. This all happened last spring. Yeah. And just the timing of it was just perfect because it really was gaining so much momentum. And now I'm getting credibility for what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of started reaching out to our local congresswoman to see if we can start changing the law. Like, why is this happening to our military families and how many people is this affecting? And so the first thing we need is data. How large of a problem are we talking? And the last study was done in 2011 by the DOD. And basically it said, we don't have enough data. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I'm like, how do we change this? And so a few of the military spouses, we got together, we put together the language and then pushed it to our congresswoman and say, please put this in the NDAA um, 2019 and let's get this done. Let's, Let's put it in. We need to see 
how many military families were having problems. And that's when, you know, just getting rallying support. You spent a lot of time on the Hill in April just visiting different senators and representatives and mainly with congressional staffers and just pitching my case and saying, we need data, we need reform. And I was surprised to hear how many of them, number one, didn't know it existed. They really don't know what special education is all about. It is complicated. Um, but when you start talking about impact aid funds, all of a sudden, you know, their eyes open up wide and go, oh, yeah, really? There's money. Yes, there's money involved. Yes, I know you care about our families, but really it's the dollar signs right. um, that catch their attention. And so we were able to get that legislation pushed through um, the NDAA, which I believe is going to be signed hopefully within the next month. Oh, and so that was a huge win for us. Yeah. Um, so we're happy that there's going to be a study. And my hope is that once we get the baseline of data, then the GAO can go in and really delve in um, to all the complexities of the challenges that we have when we PCS and you know the school districts, because there's a lot of things we need to do. We need to educate our families to make sure they know what their rights are. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, we have this website you may be familiar with, you know, Military One Source, mm-hmm. which is great, but it's really not a personalized um, avenue for parents when they need a real person to listen to right. the unique case and to actually go into a meeting with them. For support and say this is right or this is not wrong. Mm-hmm. So education is a big deal, um, but we also need to, you know, look at supporting EFMP programs are not standardized throughout the branches. So some branches do it differently than others. Even some bases within the branch do it differently than other bases. Um, and they've been asking a standardized EFMP for a at least a decade. And it just hasn't happened. And so depending on what branch you are in, depends on what kind of services you might get. I will tell you that right now the model to follow is the Marine Corps. Um, They have a robust EFMP program. They have a lot of case managers and they have special education attorneys positioned on both coasts of the U.S. So if any Marine Corps family has a problem, then they can go and access these legal paid representatives to sit in meetings. They can actually even represent in a due process hearing. So why are they all not doing this? (laughs) And it worked. Take advantage. Yes, I would love to. I had friends that were on a Marine base. They were Navy. And they tried to use um, the attorney. And they said, I'm sorry, we are only here for the Marine Corps families. But I'll tell you what, when I look at all the families that have reached out to me and that we've gathered, none of them are Marines. No, yeah. they are consistently taking care of their people. And, you know, I think that's, if anything, why reinvent the wheel? Let's look at their model and let's replicate it because it's working and it's a deterrent. It kind of keeps school districts in line when you know that it would be easy for a family to bring in an attorney to make sure that things are done right. Yeah. Um, and also I think we just need to make sure we, we audit those funds and find out where that money's going. That's yeah. not going to be an easy, um, that's just not going to be easy, but someone needs to start looking, you know, into that as far as, you know, how do we 
how do we make sure that it's, it's being used properly? Um, so those are some of the big things. You know, we're getting some momentum. Um, the state of the Commonwealth of Virginia, I've, I'm working with local senators and delegates here so that we're going to introduce a bill for the General Assembly next year um, to put a military spouse on the Interstate Compact Council, which oversees education um, mm. for all our military families in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And currently there's not a military spouse. And I thought to myself, my goodness, who deals with all of the registration? Who knows your kids the best when it comes to <laughs> making sure when you're PCSing? You know, yeah. a lot of times our active duty spouses are, you know, in training or checking in day one. They're not registering them. They don't know what the unique challenges are of our kids. And so when I looked at the composition of the council here in Virginia, it had like, you know, obviously elected officials, you had VDOE on there, you had an active duty member, you have a superintendent and like a school counselor, but there was no person representing the family unit mm. as intimately as a spouse would. And yeah. so this legislation will change Virginia code. And I'm super excited. I hope it gets passed because it would be a precedent here. And then we can hopefully use that law and get it done for all the different states um, yeah. the U.S. So we're hoping that will be a big win-win for us. Yeah. Um, so, so there's what, a lot of good things happening. What can people do to help, though? Like if they don't have somebody who is EFMP in their family or if they do, what can they do to become involved so that it's not just these families standing alone in their own cases. And it's, I keep on hearing about, and what you're hearing is what you've experienced is it almost seems like the school board was waiting for you to PCS or yes. to quit. <laughs> and that, that's what it seems so long is because the school board knows that they're going to be there longer than the family, but that doesn't mean that the family and this student and this yeah. person should be forgotten and left to hang to dry. So what can they do? Other than trying to advocate for themselves, what can they do to help in this process to, to bring this issue? Um, That's, those are all great questions. And I think, again, it comes down to there's a reason why it's been so hard to organize. Because guess what? We're parents to kids with special needs. <laughs> we're stressed. We're tired. We're exhausted. You know, we barely have time to hold our families together. And so yeah. I think that is a major piece of the puzzle. It's just we don't have the time. We don't even have time to even reach out sometimes to the leaders in your city. Mm -hmm. You know, we did reach out to the school board when this first started up. And, um, you know, that got us nowhere. Because I would be my first thing is to engage with your school board. Engage with your school. You know, let them know that you want to be cooperative and you both have, you know, the same goal in mind is to make sure that your child's getting appropriate education. I think it's when that doesn't work, what's the next step? Mm -hmm. You know, EFMP doesn't have, other than the Marines, they can't, like school liaison officers, I think one of the first questions, well, why don't you go to the FMP, the school liaison office? They cannot help you. They cannot support you. They cannot advocate you. It's outside of their position description. So a lot of times they'll just say, oh, you can contact these people or you can contact these people. 
But I think they need to at least know you're having issues because it needs to be tracked. The school liaison officers need to track how many families are having problems. And that way we can get the bigger military involved to know this is an area that has got a significant amount of challenges for special education so that we know that we need to target those. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that also just because we have a few people that have been really vocal and want people to contact me and I can maybe hopefully get them connected with people in their area that Mm -hmm. are trying to affect change. You know, I think that we're here for such short periods of time, like you said, two to three years. It's just not enough time to organize. You're going to have to find and bridge that divide with the civilian community because you know if it's happening in the military, it's definitely happening to the civilians that live there and are not moving. Yeah. So they need to come together and say, hey, we are here for a short period of time, but we're having the same problems. How can we try to make change here? You know, what have we done on the state level? What have we done, you know, at the local level? And just see if they can work it. But it's, again, families with kids with special needs. <laughs> yeah. We're in a tough, tough with all spot. the extra time and energy yes. and it's, mental space. And your husbands or spouses, sorry, are, are gone. You know, it's just, this has taken such a huge toll emotionally, like physically. I've, I've had shingles twice okay I'm not 50 why am I getting why am I getting shingles if it makes you feel better my third my friend who's like 30 early 30s maybe she's not even 30 oh my god she's early 30s she just got shingles so it's not just an old person thing (laughs) I do know stress definitely adds yeah yeah and um we definitely had, yeah, this has just been over the top crazy for us. Um, and I think just, you know, it's that moral rectitude that my husband and I have. Because, I mean, yes, we could have given up a long time ago. Mm-hmm. We could have used some of this money maybe to go to the private school. But I think just knowing it wasn't right kind of just forced us to stay on this path. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's there's some amazing advocates or military spouses that kind of paved the way for us and they just, their voices were really never heard. So I'm hoping the momentum is now. Mm -hmm. Um, I have had the great privilege to kind of partner with um, the military child education coalition called MSEC. And they have seemed to embrace special education and what the progress we're making right now. And so having a large organization like that, you know, brings that credibility up and allows us to get our foot in the door and get that seat at the table that we haven't had for over a decade. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a fun subject. And I think that um, it's complicated. And, you know, you'd rather just want to hear the hearsay of, oh, I heard everything's great in that school district. I don't understand why. It must be just you. You must be a crazy parent, right? Right. (laughs) And that's the problem is that, a lot of school districts or attorneys for schools will say that we were uncooperative, that we were contentious, and that's so not what my husband and I were. We're always professional. We're not yelling in meetings. We're very reasonable and cooperative, and that's really key is to be able to like come to some type of solution. You have to, even though it's infuriating to hear yeah. the lies and... Um, being gaslighted a lot of the times, 
you just have to kind of make sure that you stay focused and um, not be portrayed as the quote unquote crazy parents because then you lose all credibility. Yeah. So you have to be really careful on who you choose to advocate with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's definitely one of the things we've been very careful um, on who we've had come, you know, like for instance, walking the halls of Capitol Hill, who do I bring with me? You know, right. we have to sadly be very well-spoken and be able to give the facts, but also concrete solutions of how to solve, you know, some of the problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been, it's been quite the journey. <laughs> I know. Um, I don't know if I really answered your question super well about what can people do, but just, I think knowing they're not alone mm-hmm. and, you know, listening to this podcast will hopefully validate what they're feeling, what they've experienced um, to reach out, you know, to others, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, I have a public page on Facebook. I spend a lot of time responding to people on messages, trying to give them some advice. There is also the COPA website that has um, advice when you join their um, group. They have a special military rate of $25, I believe. And it is great. Um, Jeremy Hilton, my mentor, was able to um, coordinate that many years ago when he saw that there were a lot of problems um, with military families and special ed compliance. And so that's a great resource right there. Um, it's great also to, to be joining some of the Facebook groups. Uh, those are wonderful for support, too, just to, yeah. to know, like, hey, what base are you at? This is the problem I had. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of things to, to really, I don't know what the word is, but it's just, it's just a lot on our plates. And um, we do it for the kids. It's all worth it. You know, we all want to see our kids be able to, you know, go up to to the next level of education, get good jobs, whatever the future holds for them. It's going to be good. We just need to make sure they get the same education or afforded the same education as their peers. Right. Um, And, yes, some of them have challenges and unique needs. But guess what? You know, the federal law protects them. Yeah. And so we just need to make sure that we hold the schools accountable to follow that law. Yeah. Which is so unfortunate that it is so hard for you guys to do that simple <laughs> thing. Because when you say it right now, like to get a federally mandated education, baseline <laughs> education, that is, sounds like such a simple thing. And yet you are having to put so much effort into making that work um definitely but it's so worth it you know I I I say that now as I'm stressed (laughs) but um seeing my daughter and how she's been progressing in her private school and the supports that they're giving her the interventions um the comfort in the environment seeing her anxiety go down You know, I know that it was all worth it. You know, I know that this was what was meant for her. And, you know, we have five legal decisions that support it. So (laughs) hopefully I'm still hoping for a positive resolution. I keep saying that. And I'm wondering, you know, how long this is going to go. You know, um, I don't have the answer for that. But I'm still hopeful that, you know, one day we can we can put this behind us and, in the meantime, I'm just going to keep advocating and keep trying to make change. You know, we are 
I was invited, actually, um, we have a special needs education panel at the Congressional Military Family Caucus Summit in Fort Benning next month. And I was able to get a special needs education panel. So I've recruited four other families to come out with me. And I'm going to moderate um, for 45 minutes. We're going to talk about our personal stories and um, some solutions we have to some of these issues. And it's the, really the first time that they've ever invited you know, a panel on special education. And mm -hmm. so I feel like this is our moment. This is yeah. when we need to grab their interests and say, this is not right. This has been going on for too long. There's legislation already going in the NDAA, but let's keep moving. Let's make change in EFMP. Let's make change in all our service branches. Let's start looking at the funding. Let's educate our families. You know, let's do what's right. So let's let's hope that we can keep the momentum going. Yeah, that's incredible. I hope that goes well. I hope well thank that. you. I'm I'm excited about it. A little nervous, but right. very excited about just having just having that seat at the table. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's just really keep great. that keep that seat until the problems are solved. Absolutely. Absolutely. So last question: What is your key to thriving with? all your crazy journey experience <laughs> what is what is uh, to thriving throughout all this that you'd like to share with your fellow waiting warriors so i think the first thing is having faith you need to have faith and um because that has what pretty much kept us going is mm -hmm. knowing that there is a higher higher being that's that's telling us we're here in this situation for a reason and when i've had my doubts i just pray about it and i feel like a peace come over me and helps guide me in every decision um guides our family so definitely faith having a strong marriage is definitely number two if you are not communicating if you you know keep too much of the stress in, it's going to boil over into your marriage. And so I am a big fan. I say this every single time, big fan of the Navy respite program because yeah. it allows when my husband's here, <laughs> I mean, I should put that caveat when he's here, um, it really helps keep us um, communicating. It keeps us, you know, alive in our, our love as far as enjoying one another and enjoying the things we do together during that respite time. And so I highly encourage all of our families that have kids with special needs to make sure you get at least one or two nights a month out and to spend, even if you're just going to Target and walking up and down the aisles, you need that break to remember why you're here in the first place. And it's easier said than done. I get very sick when people say, you need to take care of yourself. Okay, yes, 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 I heard that. And there are times I know that you can't. I know that's easier said than done. Yeah. For sure. And I think... I'm pretty sure that most parents with kids, especially, we know we need to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's not possible at times. It really isn't. And I think it's even more frustrating when people keep telling us we need to do it. <laughs> but again, big fan of respite care and getting out and, you know, one with your spouse, but then two, just for yourself, you know, to get out there. And um, like I said, just go walk. You know, just clear your head because we all need to fill that cup up again. And um, 
you know, when you drain so much and you're on fumes, you can't be a good parent. So you have to have some type of way to re-energize yourself and kind of also clear your head to know, okay, I've got this. Because really that's what it is, is I've got this. Mm-hmm. And making sure you've got a good support group. That's mm-hmm. another difficult thing too. Um, you got to find your tribe. And it is not easy because you can lose a lot of friends. I've lost friends over the course of time. Um, when Marissa was born, I had some friends that just couldn't handle it. So poof, they were gone because mm-hmm. there's so much medical stuff going on. And then even with this last hearing, we had some good friends that, you know, could understand why we're having so many problems. And goodness, I know a family who has a child with special needs and they're, having a, they're doing great in the school district. And poof, they didn't show up to our hearing. And so I think you've got to find the right people that are not judgmental and they accept you and your family the way they are and are supportive. And I've been very blessed. There have been some people that have come into my life that are, I think, nothing short of being an angel because they get it. They understand me. They're helping me. They're supporting me and my husband. Um, and it, it just, just knowing that someone understands your situation sometimes is just breathes so much life into, you know, your advocacy. So we've been very, very blessed. Um, you know, again, my husband and I, he's, we just have that do your right thing motto, you know, our moral rectitude of just keep on going and knowing that, um, if it's happening to you, it's happening to others. Yeah. And that's not right. And, you know, if we are fortunate to have that voice and be able to afford to keep up the fight, then that's what we're going to do. And that's where we are. Five years. <laughs> no one's in sight. <laughs> but, you know, still hopeful. Hopeful for change. Yeah. And that's all we can be. Again, you're, you're incredible. And for those of you who are listening, who are going through similar experiences, even if you aren't going through the same legal battle, but just the unfortunate situation of schools and school districts not helping your child when with such a simple thing, like, well, I guess simple is not the right word, such a basic thing, like education um my heart and my hat goes off to you who are for fighting and I hope that this podcast and other things that we can do help just alleviate that burden because that's not one that you guys should have to bear on your own at all absolutely and again you know come come like my page on (laughs) Facebook I will be happy to help out where I can um and uh just know that you're not alone. Yeah. And it's every bit of your advocacy for your child is worth it. And yeah. they are, they are worth it. And, um, I was, I'll, I'll fight to my last breath for, mm-hmm. for my daughter. And I know all parents especially need to do the same. So yeah. Okay. Do this. Thank you, Michelle. You are amazing for giving us a voice to be able to talk about these really complicated and difficult 
conversations, but I hope that if we can just at least reach one person today. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's worth it in gold. So thank you for 100%. me. It's my pleasure. And um, for those of you who do want to get into contact, if you, it's Michelle Norman, she's on Facebook. I'll put links to all of those um, resources that she had said in the show notes. So it'll be in a simple, easy place for you to Wait. find it. But thank yes, you. <laughs> no problem. And um, any last words, Michelle? Um, I just say, you know, go with your gut. Do the right thing. That's it. You got it. That's perfect. Love you, everybody. That's perfect. <laughs> well, Waiting Warriors, again, for those of you who are having to fight this fight and um, deal with this battle, my hat and heart goes out to you. For all of you who don't, please still share this episode, though. If you know somebody who has a special needs child or if you don't, this really is just an issue about getting the – word out and that word can't be spread unless we start talking about it and that's not going to happen if we wait for the people who are suffering and are in the middle of it to get talking about it because these families are I mean just I'm just going to speak to the people who are listening who aren't these family members think about how tired you are when your spouse is gone think about how much you feel alone and in just your situation and then add something like a special needs family member into that mix that brings on a whole new slew of emotions and energy that we really just need to be helping and loving these people all the more. So I would challenge everybody to who is listening to share this episode, um, whether it's with your FRG, whether it is on your social media or on your I mean, any sort of social media page, just share it so then people can understand that the conversation is going and then that way it will reach the people who really need it most. Absolutely. They need that validation. Yeah, exactly. So Waiting Warriors, you guys have a great week. I just Mm -hmm. hope you, you just have a great week and just keep on fighting the good fight. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks again, Michelle. Thank you. Bye. I want to take just a minute and tell you guys about a really amazing online event coming up for all first responder and military loved ones, a.k.a. you guys. This year is the fifth annual Independent Wellness Summit on March 2nd through the 7th. It's a week-long online summit put together by a group of military spouses, and this year they have incredible speakers talking about dimensions of strength. Last year was my first summit, and I loved it. Not only was it super helpful for me to spend time focusing on my personal wellness, but I also learned a ton that really helped me in some of those hard weeks of our deployment last year. I really think it's important for us waiting warriors to take time to fill our cups and learn so we can then truly thrive in this life. And this wellness summit is the perfect way to do just that. So go to www.in-dependent.org slash wellness summit or just their website and you'll find it real fast. 
and get the general admission for free. Again, general admission for free. Or you can grab an all access pass with the code WARRIOR20 for a great discount. I have my all access pass purchased and ready to go. So I'd love for you to tag me on social media when you get your ticket. I can't wait to see you all there so we can learn and thrive together.